welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the United States, brought to you by Insurance Business. Hi everyone and welcome to IB Talk, the Insurance Business America podcast. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business and in this episode I'm very excited to welcome two leaders from USI Insurance Services, a national insurance brokerage and risk consulting firm in the United States. I'm joined by Douglas O'Brien, USI's National Practice Division Manager for Casualty and Alternative Risk Solutions, and Andrew Doherty, National Executive and Professional Risk Solutions Practice Leader. And in this episode, we are going to be taking a deep dive into three key and rather challenging market sectors, being casualty, cyber, and directors and officers insurance. Doug, Andrew, welcome to IB Talk. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Before we get into the thick of things, let's start with some brief introductions. Uh, Doug, I'll come to you first. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your career, and your role and expertise within USI? Uh, Sure. Um, So my name is Doug O'Brien. As you said earlier, my role at USI is National Casualty and Alternative Risk Practice Leader. Uh, I'm based in New York and have a a little under uh, 34 years of experience uh, in the insurance business, all as a broker. Prior to joining USI, uh, four years ago, I was with Wells Fargo Insurance Services for a little over 11 years, and prior to that, uh, slightly under 19 years uh, with Marsh. Uh, The entirety of my career has been helping clients and colleagues uh, in in complex casualty and alternative risk roles. Um, That's it. Excellent. Thanks, Doug. Um, And Andy, over to you. Sure thing. Andy Doherty, I'm the leader of USI's Executive and Professional Risk Solutions team based in our home office in Valhalla, New York. I'll hit 29 years in the business this summer. I started with an insurance company, Chubb, in personal lines. And after five years, I switched to the commercial insurance side, eventually making my way uh, to the brokerage side in 2003 and have been here ever since. I've been with USI for just over two years. EPS, uh, as Executive and Professional Risk Solutions is is called here, is a specialized area, certainly within the PNC world. It includes many areas of risk and specialized solutions and coverages. The flagship areas are certainly DNO, or Directors and Officers Liability, and Cyber Risk, uh, without a doubt. There's other areas of risk, uh, employment practices, fiduciary crime, ENO and transactional risk, but DNO and cyber certainly are at the top of the charts these days. Brilliant. Thank you, Andy. Um, Okay, so Doug, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Um, How would you describe the casualty market conditions at the end of 2021 in terms of things like rates, capacity, and which lines are doing well and or, or not so well, as the case may be? I would say, you know, the last two quarters of 2021 uh, continue to remain a challenge uh, for most middle market buyers and certainly large account buyers of you know, primary commercial auto, general products liability, and in particular umbrella excess uh, insurance um, from both a rate and, and capacity perspective. Uh, however, the good news is that, you know, beginning in the latter part part of 2021, we began to see, you know, some rays of light as respects the deceleration and in, in rate increases, um, you know, for a good percentage of these uh, aforementioned coverage lines. 
um, and increasingly, you know, more competition, right, which is a good thing, uh, for new business for a, a broader number of insurers. And, and over time, obviously, this sh should continue to lead to longer-term rate stabilization for these, you know, commercial auto GL products and, and in particular, uh, umbrella excess. Uh, by contrast, workers' compensation here in the States uh, continue to remain mostly a competitive market for most insureds in, in most states. There's a couple outliers, you know, such as California and, and New York. Um, you know, but overall, the combined ratio for workers' comp continues to remain below 90%. You know, 10 years ago, it was, it was close to 100 or exceeded 100%. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, there were some concerns about the short-term impact of what they call presumptive liability for COVID-19 claims, which essentially, if you contracted COVID, it was deemed to be contracted in the work environment and then hence a workers' comp claim. But the, the, the uh, financial impact of that was not nearly as high. They expected, you know, close to a billion dollars plus in, in losses, but the, um, the, 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 uh, the impact was not nearly as high as that. Uh, and it's going to be more muted as more workers are vaccinated. And for, for a decent amount of workers, the work from home environment uh, remains common uh, for a greater number uh, of employees. Thanks, Doug. Um, there's a good summary of this uh, in the USI 2022 uh, Commercial Property and Casualty Outlook, which was published quite recently. Um, in that outlook, you describe how three to four years of consistent double-digit rate increases um, are beginning to create a profitable environment for most casualty insurers. Doug, please, can we pick that apart? Um, what was driving those rate increases and why would you say rates are now stabilizing? Yeah, well, there's a variety of factors which have driven this market to be, you know, effectively the most sustained hard market since the mid-1980s. And the reality is that many of these factors will continue to have a negative impact on underwriting profitability for, for many years to come. But if I were to pick four or five of the major factors, they would include... Um, Number one, rising liability loss trends and, and severity of large losses. The liability loss dollar for claim settlements above $5 million now account for over 20% of all loss dollars. And you, you compare that to 10 years ago, it's substantially higher today than it was 10 years ago. Uh, you know, many industry professionals use the term social inflation, which includes you know, nuclear verdicts, uh, a more socially conscious public, which has contributed to, you know, jury empathy for plaintiffs and subsequently higher jury awards. You know, there's this reality of private equity-backed uh, litigation financing, uh, which is resulting in claims payouts, all of this resulting in claims payouts, which are multiples of what they were even five or six years ago. And this is uh, putting enormous pressure on rate adequacy, which is why you've seen these you know, double-digit um, you know, increases the last number of years. I, I mentioned a second ago about presumptive liability that put uh, pressure on rates, not just workers' comp, but, but other lines as well. Obviously, it didn't materialize as we, as the market expected, but that you know, added pressure to the, uh, to the market. And then you know, lastly, uh, low, a low interest rate environment um, obviously did not help. Um, you know, the, the bond market is the primary source of an insurance company's investment income and, and being 
relatively low for them that last number of years, you know, did not allow them to uh, enjoy higher rates of return from, from investment income. So those are the major reasons why there was multiple years of, of double-digit uh, increases. As I said before, though, you know, after multiple years of these types of, of increases, we're beginning to see uh, an environment of rate adequacy um, and, and more profitability for, for most casualty insurers, including umbrella uh, excess. And, and as a result of that, um, you know, especially the last couple quarters, uh, the pace of rate increases is beginning to moderate. And as I said earlier, it's going to lead to longer term rate stabilization. That's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned um, umbrella excess insurance. I, I did want to sort of uh, bring that up with you, Doug, because, you know, that continues to be one of the most sort of adversely impacted um, casualty coverage lines, uh, even if there is, you know, it is getting slightly healthier. Um, you know, why is this uh, a difficult line and, and sort of how is this playing out in the marketplace? Yeah, Beth. Well, you know, historically, prior to this market hardening in, in 2017, you know, we began to see some headwind flowing in 16, 17, and certainly in 18. It, it really turned you know, literally in, in a matter of weeks. But you know, prior to this market hardening, the umbrella excess market was what we call soft, which to translate into, you know, non, to a non-insurance person, that means it was a very inexpensive market. Uh, Market so insurance companies were deploying an average of 25 million per individual insured for, for relatively inexpensive uh, premiums or inexpensive rates online and that went up throughout the tower. So, for example, if you bought a, bought a hundred million dollar umbrella excess tower, the corresponding price to the entire tower in, in you know, five ten years ago could have been as uh, Cheap as five hundred thousand dollars, and only require you know four or five or six insurance companies to fill out that uh, tower. But some of these social inflationary pressures that I, I mentioned a few minutes ago um, have had the most impact on umbrella excess because you know formerly higher limits are being deployed by the insurance companies, and unfortunately, you know for them, correspondingly lower premiums. Uh, you know, one underwriting manager told me a number of years ago that. Uh, only two $25 million limit losses would have eliminated the entirety of a year's premium for over 350 clients. So that gives you an idea as to how inexpensive the market was, right? For only, you know, two $50 million of losses would have exhausted the uh, premium um, spend for, for uh, over 350 clients. Um, but, you know, beginning in 2017, and again, as a result of these social inflationary pressures and large verdicts, uh, markets began to deploy their capital much more conservatively, uh, as well as contract or reduce capacity that they were deploying for any individual insured, you know, from 25 to an average of, you know, 10 to 15. You know, the reduction in limits, however, came with no corresponding decrease in rates. And in fact, most insurers were raising rates so when you, you, know, you factor in the contraction and limits compared to the premium on a cost per million basis, some insureds expect, experience you know, triple digit uh, percentage increases. And on top of that, lead umbrellas in particular were demanding higher attachment points, especially for those insureds that had you know, higher uh, you know, or large uh, fleets of, of trucks or autos. And 
So in effect, it had a triple effect of, you know, lower capacity at significantly higher rates, as well as the need to, you know, account for the, the need for higher attachment points, which is often, you know, filled by the primary layer paying, you know, more for the primary uh, limits or obtaining a, uh, a buffer layer. And, and then lastly, throughout the tower, uh, those insureds that, you know, beyond 25 or 50 million, they were demanding and, and oftentimes obtaining a higher rate online compared to what they were receiving previously. You know, for example, 60 to 80% of the uh, layer below them compared to, you know, five, 10 years ago, they were only getting 20 to 30% of the layer below them. They were demanding a much higher rate online. So when you add all these factors together, you know, you were paying $500,000 for five to 10 years ago, all of a sudden becomes a million five to two million five uh, in today's market. Mm, that's interesting. Um, and thank you, Doug. I mean, those trends, we do see that elsewhere in the marketplace. Obviously, some lines are more challenging than others. Um, so, Andy, I'd like to bring you into the conversation here. Um, you know, two insurance sure. segments that that you focus on quite heavily um, that ex- uh, sort of experience very, very challenging con- conditions and significant rate increases um, are cyber insurance and directors and officers liability. Um, Andy, what trends are you seeing in these lines and you know, how are insurers reacting to the challenges? Sure, Beth. And, and as I listened to, to Doug, and as you said, nothing is in a vacuum. So the broad trends in the insurance industry often can impact uh, multiple areas. And some of the things, you know, that we heard um, just about, you know, defense costs, um, you know, the, the um, runaway verdicts, potentially um, the losses. This is, impacts other areas, including these specialized areas. Today, I would say, though, as respects DNO and cyber, we're actually seeing two different trajectories right now. Given that I guess it's Groundhog Day, I'd have to say that for cyber, uh, Punxa Tawny Phil definitely saw his shadow and the, the winter of price increases and difficult underwriting conditions continues. And the one word driving that, I would say, has been ransomware. Uh, and the losses that we have actually seen. And then I would you know, suggest that the unknown um, as the evolution of uh, our kind of digitalized society and work evolve is uh, weighing on insurers as well. But for DNO, we see glimpses of spring after what was arguably a long winter. We have more competition, um, a downward trend in federal security class action uh, litigation, and rate levels that uh, had built up, as, as I mentioned, in a, a compounding fashion over the last four or five years. Uh, and now uh, we even see potentially for certain types of buyers where uh, captive insurance for DNO may be much more of a consideration. That's very early days, but taken together, the DNO marketplace, I would say, is definitely stabilized. Um, cyber. Uh, certainly not so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Andy. I, th- I mean, with cyber, um, I would say that there's potentially a lot of doom and gloom stories that go around. I hope I'm not too guilty of this, but sort of in the media, a lot of people talking about sort of triple digit rate increases due to, as you said, ransomware, ransomware attacks and this sort of thing. 
Andrew, how would you turn that around um, and paint a more positive picture for both cyber and DNO in, in 2022? Um, are there any developments that you're seeing that could positively impact the marketplace? Sure. While it's hard to ever convince clients, you know, the buyers that any cost increases or invasive underwriting processes have any positives, um, clients can definitely differentiate themselves, differentiate their risk. Um, You know, certainly for cyber, it's all about cyber hygiene. Um, You know, it's it's about uh, identifying vulnerabilities, addressing those vulnerabilities, um, explaining um, to underwriters um, how they are being addressed in order to um, get the best terms uh, feasible um, out there. Um, although it is a, a pain, painful process uh, so far, um, you know, w- with, without a doubt. Um, you know, the analogy I use, um, you know, at some point in history, a combination of regulators and insurance companies made sure homes and buildings were equipped with fire detection systems and sprinklers. Um, That was certainly an added cost way back then, but clearly worthwhile investment. You know, I see a similar evolution today, but in cyber hygiene, as mentioned, better risk controls um, are going to be better for everybody in the long term. The difference, I would say, is that, you know, not too many companies had to guard against bad actors looking to purposely deactivate smoke alarms and sprinklers. So the commitment to cyber hygiene uh, will have to be uh, perpetual. Um, but but that is the key. Um, you have to understand the vulnerabilities, address them, and then um, make sure that's understood in the marketplace so that you can get differentiated terms. And, and while just about everybody seems to be going up and seeing, you know, a hardness in this, this cyber market, at some point that differentiation will become uh, much easier uh, to, to speak to and um, it, it will be easier to identify, you know, which carriers are differentiating the most and, and drive the best results you can. So that's the long-term optimism around cyber. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. And and what about DNO? You mentioned that, you know, we are entering potentially a spring period there. Um, any sort of positive positive stories really for the, for the coming year and things to, to focus on in DNO? Yeah, there is, uh, certainly. I mean, there's pockets of DNO that are still very challenging, IPOs or um, SPACs, which are blank check companies that are, that are formed really just uh, as public companies just to do a transaction. These are unique areas that are still challenging. But overall, you know, we see uh, companies, you know, certainly financial performance helps, but we also see companies committing themselves um, to more uh, improved governance uh, strategies, um, including ESG or environmental and social governance. Um, So these companies can differentiate themselves by showcasing their commitment, not just to their stockholders, but to all the stakeholders, whether it be customers or employees or the environment, society at large. And, and that includes a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is not just a board level issue, although that's, that's where there's been some focus, but it's just throughout the organization. As these companies go through that, address that, they will become better DO risks over time. Mm-hmm. 
Got it. Um, okay, so Andy, Doug, to close this conversation, um, I want to pick your brains as brokers now. So, I mean, I've been picking your brains as brokers for the whole conversation, but, you know, in challenges, challenging markets like cyber, DNO, and certain segments of casualty like Umbrella Excess, um, what can brokers and agents do to get the best solutions at a reasonable price for their clients? Um, and sort of what's your strategy with this at USI? Andy, I'll come to you first. Sure. Well, we're the intermediary, obviously, um, but it's not just about blanketing the insurance market and, and hoping for the best. It's uh, being uh, communicative with your clients throughout the year, working with clients to identify their strengths and, uh, but also their vulnerabilities in advance. Uh, you know, accentuate the positives and proactively address the negatives so that insurers. We'll see what a good risk is, but not just a good risk today, but someone or, or, or a company committed to constantly improving. And then, you know, I think for clients, it's all about options. Um, you know, we know that clients don't want to be fed one option, take it or leave it. Um, there are many ways to skin the cat, as they say, a spectrum of ways to transfer risks. And you know, we hope to keep developing alternatives, um, however that may manifest itself, risk transfer or other forms of, of risk mitigation. But from there, we analyze whatever options there are on the table. We make a strong recommendation. And that recommendation is always one uh, where we see the most positive financial impact. Ultimately, the client makes the decision based on a variety of factors. But um, all in all, um, when you have choices, I think most people just feel much better about the process, even if they don't love the result today. Excellent. Thanks. And Doug, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would echo a lot of what Andy just said. I would add, though, that, um, you know, dialoguing with uh, the incumbent market and, and prospective markets early in the process and, and develop a relationship is, is probably now more than ever key. Obviously, it's still hard to have face-to-face -face meetings, but to the extent that is possible, uh, I, I believe face-to-face -face meetings still deliver more tangible results. But, but the absence of that, still having you know uh, as much dialogue uh, with your uh, markets as possible, and as Andy said, to put your clients in the best possible light by developing quality underwriting submissions, trying to differentiate the quality of the risk profile. Of, our, of your client from from others, you know, move it to the front burner as opposed to having the underwriter, you know, let it simmer on the back burner. You know, and as Andy mentioned, you know, uh, brokers and, and clients really need to continually analyze, um, you know, the cost benefit of program structural changes. You know, assuming more risk themselves, you know, which has become much more common today than it was, you know, prior to this market really hardening. Um, you know, increased utilization of captives uh, or other forms of, of self-insurance. So as Andy said, you, you really need to bring options to the table. You know, if plan A doesn't work, uh, you have to pivot to plan B or, or plan C. So hopefully, you know, an organized, starting early, being organized uh, and having a game plan um, to allow you to pivot quickly uh, will, will get the most favorable outcome for your, for your clients. Excellent. That sounds good. And I agree with you there, Doug. Hopefully 2022 is the year for more face-to-face. -face. Um, we can all get back in front of each other. Um, I've got a good feeling about it. So 
You know, Andy, Doug, I think that's a great place to end the discussion today. Um, Lots of great insights there and lots of good takeaways for our listeners. So thank you both very much for joining me. Thank you, Beth. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business. Make sure you check out the rest of our IB Talk podcasts, IBTV, and other interactive digital content, www.insurancebusiness.com forward slash US. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. <laughs>